cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. I'm with me, as always, is my guy, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, a second Kellen in the building, Kellen Cassetter. How you doing, Kellen? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Yeah, and this is going to be confusing here with Kellen and and myself, but it's okay. I've dealt with it before, and it'll be all right. Before we dive into the state of New York and some of those other areas, can you take us back before? Was there a time before you got into cannabis? Can you tell us a little bit how you got into the space? Yeah, I've been in cannabis my entire life. My father had started hemp-infused wine when I was, before I was born, actually, technically. And so in the late 90s, he developed that business. It became nationwide. And so my earliest memories, you know, I was like three, four years old, is traveling with him to the New York State Fair and sleeping in the booth as he sold wine in the wine pavilion there. When I started college at, at Binghamton University, I decided to try to restart uh, the venture, the hemp-infused wine venture. And that was back in 2015. And ever since then, you were the first licensed processor in the state of New York. And ever since I've just been knee-deep, and that's been my life, is cannabis here in, in the Empire State. I love it. So I want to talk right about the hemp-infused wine. Can you tell us like what that is, what that's like, how does it taste, and, and a little origin? You need to taste it, right? Like I'm not going to give it justice. My dad is excellent at explaining hemp-infused wine. But essentially, what it was is it was a terpene, a hemp-derived terpene, that we put in the wine and it just, it gave the wine an added layer of depth and this smooth, earthy roundness to the finish that was unbelievably unique. Let's say five years from now, is there a potential for cannabinoid-infused wine? Is that something you've kicked around, at least thought about internally? Take us through that thought process. Yes, that's a great question. To start off with, in terms of competition, right? And we, my dad was the first, obviously. And we're talking about the 90s. And we were the first because of the continuation. And we were the only for a time. You start to see other products try to hit the market. The reason why it hasn't been copied, because it's a good product. And it's definitely been tasted by people way more capitalized than we were at the time and much bigger infrastructure in terms of wine. The TTB, the feds do will not allow it. And so you start to see in California, non-alcoholic, THC-infused or CBD-infused. Yeah, there was a Hemperer beer. I don't know if you remember that, by, by New Belgium. And what they did is they used botanically-derived terps to try to match the profile. And you can't do it. You just can't do it with botanically derived herbs. It's got to come from the source. And you see some like seed, hemp extract seed infused wine. It was like one out of Texas. But yeah, and that's why no one's ever done it again is because the TTB, there's no path. There's no path to the TTB. And we anguished. We spent years on it. And right now there's no path. They, they want the FDA to approve hemp-derived terpenes as grass, as generally recognized as safe. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. Can you take us through your role here in New York State and kind of how you're involved? Yeah. So I'm involved in a lot of fronts, right? I'm, um, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different operations throughout the, throughout the past five years. Right now, what I do is I'm the managing director of the Cassiter Cannabis Group. We're a small boutique firm that helps our clients, medium-sized, small businesses throughout the state, understand the regulations, understand the law, and also act on their behalf in terms of government relations and lobbying. So we're a lobbyist. We work with a lot of legacy market operators, and we work with a plethora of different industry operators. We bring an operational understanding to policy 
and advocacy plan development. I also serve, and I'm a co-founder of the New York Canvas Growers and Prosperity Association. And I serve on their board as vice president and also co-chair the policy committee. So slightly switching gears, obviously New York is a little behind New Jersey and Connecticut's made some waves for moving faster. Are we going to be that far behind? We as in New York, when New Jersey comes wreck, and I don't have an actual date, maybe you can share one on the anticipation, but are we going to just allow everyone to cross the bridge and go into New Jersey? Or are we going to expedite our process to try to align a little closer together? I think there's reasons why we, we should be trying to move forward and move quickly. I don't see New Jersey selling products is too much for that. Because the reality is, if you're a New Yorker, why would you go to New Jersey when you can just order from a serve right here in New York? You know what I mean? Like It's like really easy to get good pot in New York, and especially New York City. And then you go out to Western New York, it's very easy. I think that actually maybe create more urgency is that the gray market is now becoming even more sophisticated. New Jersey, I think their speed has created some flaws. For instance, they're not allowing us. So there's some flaws. And then the way that they have a lot of local control of the application process probably isn't the best way to go. Connecticut is like licensing like a dozen licenses across the entire state, which is weird too. If it's going to take a little bit longer for New York to get it right, I'm fine with that. I think a lot of people are too. But no, I think the process in New York is underway, right? The regulations are going to be are being drafted. I think we see them sometime maybe in the spring. And uh, then a public comment period is going to commence and that's the way it should. Not to put you on the spot, but is there a hopeful anticipation date from an adult use standpoint, that we could say we're targeting this. If you listen to the chair, Tremaine, and this is one of those situations where we're recording at the end of January and it's going to release at the end of February. So things could change. You hear a lot in the news about 18 months, 12 months, rollouts, stuff like that. We're really going to know as soon as the, the, the when, when the regulatory draft package gets released, that's when the timer starts. So I think when they get released, we're looking at about eight months before we start to see applications and licenses really get underway. Kellen, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? The biggest misconception is just that, you know, it's only about these isolated compounds, right? The, the plant is about THC or it's about CBD. And it's just not the case. We're talking about multi-molecule compounds when we talk about supplements, but the flower, the experience, everything goes into it and you just can't neatly put a number on it. And I think that fact right there is known by consumers, especially regular consumers, but it's not well understood by the private equity finance bros in the boardrooms. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you can sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? I think you gain so much from hearing all these people's perspectives and never assuming that all about even the, the most specific of any issue. And when I policy, I'm, I'm learning new things every single day from people you wouldn't even think of right? Even people all the way down the, the chain, even all the way down to the bud tender and the trimmer, right? When you learn these things and these experiences, I think that arms you to be a lot better at, at your job, whatever it is, even if you're not looking at developing policy and advocacy platforms, is listening and, and never trying to be the smartest person in the room. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're doing something wrong. Will New York become the largest cannabis market in the United States? If so, when? If not, why not? Yes, by 2026. I thought about this. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but absolutely, yes. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a big reason why uh, is because we get 
tens of millions of visitors to New York every single year. Mm. And that, I think, is the biggest thing. We don't have the population of California. And obviously, California has a thriving tourism sector and everything like that. In New York, people come here to spend money and leave. So, Kellen, for our listeners that want to learn more, they want to get in touch, where can they reach you? Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Go to our website, castatorcannabis.com and reach out through the footer or come to me directly. And yeah, we'd love to chat. If you're looking to enter New York, you're looking to collaborate with businesses in New York, you have some services that you think might be great for some of my clients or whatever, just reach out. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link it up in the show notes. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.